Hello, everyone, and welcome to Holy Smokes, the Preacher Podcast. My name is Josh Carter. I'm Britt Bird. And we are here today to talk about Preacher Episode 104, entitled Monster Swamp. Monster Swamp. Um, before we get into the recap, Britt, what is the format of the show? A little bit about the format of the podcast. Uh, Josh here has read all of the comics, um, so he has a general idea of outline, where things could potentially be going, etc. I wouldn't call myself an expert. <laughs> I, however, have not read any of the comics, and I've done a pretty damn good job, if I say so myself, of avoiding Wikipedia uh, Tumblr spoilers, uh, reading reviews of episodes and things of that nature. So I'm not as well versed as Josh is. So we will spoil things from the episode itself, uh, but Josh will do his level best not to spoil anything from the comic books that has not been touched upon yet. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So I've, I've been pretty good so far this season. Yeah, you have. You've, you've been very good. And, uh, I have been very good about, to my own credit, I've been very good about not pestering you for too much information um, or going online and finding it myself, which is unusual for me because I usually, I'll, I'm the person that jumps to the end of a book and reads the end first. Well, yeah, and so. it's kind of to the point, too, that um, I've had to wonder if you even enjoy this show because usually we spend so much time talking about whatever it is we're <laughs> yeah. watching that yeah. Britt kind of doesn't talk to me about it because she knows I can't control myself. <laughs> um, and so it's made me wonder a couple of times if, if you really like the show, but yeah, I know you do. I do. I do enjoy it. Uh, would not be doing a podcast about it if I didn't. <laughs> I, I would hope not. <laughs> um, all right. Well, do you say let's get into the recap? Yeah. So we're just going to jump right in. Um, opening scene is so yeah, reads plays a lot like a classic horror movie. Um, I almost didn't realize at first that we were even in Anvil until I saw the sign. Um, so that was interesting. What about the prairie dog? Uh, the prairie dog was an indication, but honestly, the first time I watched this episode, cause I usually try to watch the episode twice. Um, the first time just to enjoy it. The second time to kind of take notes and make, you know, take stock of things that I maybe have questions about or things that I want to talk about here on the podcast. But I did not realize it was a prairie dog until the second watch. I guess the first time I assumed it was a furry, like it was just like a dude, <laughs> it was a dude in a furry suit walking around because that's the tone of the scene, right? Like right well, away. And it it's starts. Kind, of, kind of the tone of the show is yeah, like, of course they're going to deal with this starts, weird sexual perversion. Yeah. It starts in a really strange way. <clears throat> Not to call that a perversion. That's but. unusual. It's a perversion. Do you think okay. I'm a cosplayer? I can say it's a perversion. All right. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I mean, the tone of the scene itself, like, does not lend itself really to the tone of the show overall. It's very much like a horror movie. Um, so, like, I didn't realize that that was actually a prairie dog. So I just thought it was some dude in a furry costume. And then there's a guy passed out in the street. And then we see the lamp explode and go out. And then we see a girl in her underwear and Ugg boots running down the sidewalk. So immediately I'm like, OK, what the hell is happening now? Um but we end up finding out that this is actually just a very twisted game of basically like hide and go seek. But it's like boys yeah. versus girls. And you think that a chick gets shot, but in fact, they're actually just shooting them with paintballs. Mm -hmm. So and then you realize it's um, 
Clive and Lacey that we had seen in an earlier episode in the brothel. Mm-hmm. Um, and just when you think things are like, oh, okay, whew, sigh of relief. It's just a really twisted game of paintball. Uh, Lacey falls into like... I, I guess they they call it a sinkhole. Yeah, it's like a giant, but it's deep sinkhole. A giant, like deep, gnarly ass sinkhole. Um, and that's our opening sequence. Um, we go right into uh, we get our again we get another title credit this scene this uh, this episode which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, the, the so one of the things that I noticed in this scene that really plays into the the classic horror movie uh, motif. Is that one? All the guys are wearing one um, C work suits. What mm-hmm. would you call that? Like jumpsuits. Yeah, yeah they're wearing like jumpsuits, which is very much you know classic Jason Voorhees mm-hmm. style. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, my, did Jason did Jason wear that, or was that Mike Michael Myers wore the coveralls? Mike Myers wore a coverall. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But they also had the headlamps on too, mm-hmm. which sort of lent itself to like the the um, Saw movies. Mm-hmm. And they had like that Jeep that had the big light mount on the top. So that kind of chase down scene where he's chasing her down the gravel road was kind of reminiscent of The Hills Have Eyes. It reminded me um, a lot of uh, No Country for Old Men. Yeah, when, yeah. Um, when uh, Josh Brolin is running away from the truck right at dawn. Yeah. And it's coming up over the ridge. Yeah. Um, here's my question to you about this scene. Sure. What do you think the point of this game is? I honestly don't think there I, there is one. I think that it's just something that these guys that frequent this one brothel in town have made a game of like maybe occasionally once a month they just have their little paintball crew that goes out and instead of just playing paintball on a course and shooting at each other they pr- they play the or they pay these prostitutes to basically be like their their targets. It's just like they're hunting, but they're doing it with live people and it's women. Here's my theory. This is how they pick their date for the night. You think they do this every night? It, no, 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 no. Or just maybe like once a just, month. Yeah, just once in a once in a blue moon. <sighs> they will send out all the girls and all uh, the guys and whichever one the guy shoots. Do you think that because of the fact that Lacey says, you caught me, Clive, and he says, I always do? Yep. You think that's why? Yep. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. That's and interesting. the fact that there's so many girls out there. You know, it's not just yeah. it's not just Lacey. This isn't some weird thing. It's just like, and all the girls are, <laughs> all the girls are hiding uh, in the storm drain. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think I think that's probably what the game they're playing is. Hmm. That's my best guess, anyway. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> the the ins and outs and rules of that fucked up <laughs> dude's choice game. Well, I mean, I think it has something to do with Odin Kincannon. I that's interesting. I mean, I know they're playing on his property. But yeah, but I mean, he also owns half the town. Right. Um. But other than that, I, re- I don't really know why they would have him speak. Well, those are all his in, guys. In those are all the fe- they're all the people that work for him. True. They're True. all in. Uh, they're all in the Q M and P shirt uh, hats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Ken Cannon meat and power. They all have like their uniforms from work on. So I think that's why. Yes, which by the way, 
I do have to say for a second that I've realized watching this episode that I've said Odin Kincannon's name wrong the entire time I've read Preacher, been watching Preacher, doing this podcast. So, uh, sorry. <laughs> I thought it was Quinn Cannon. It is not. It is Ken Cannon, which sounds way cooler. Um, but sorry, that was just an aside that I realized this week. So, okay. Um, just still on this scene, um, the sinkholes, uh, are mm-hmm. the sinkholes, I'm going to ask you this question. You maybe can't answer it cause it might be spoiling something, but are the sinkholes connected to what happened at the end of last week's episode with that, like, like whatever that was coming out of like the storm pipe? Not my theory on it. No. Okay. Um, okay. Because the sinkholes I think, are not really in the comic book. Okay. So I think, okay, well, I have a theory about the sinkholes then that we'll touch later on um, because there's a there's a scene pertaining to um, the uh, the the gag group, the Green Acres uh, initiative thing. Oh, yeah. The environmental group. Yeah. uh, The mayor's trying to get their initials are gag, which I've noticed. Oh, my God. I didn't notice that gag, which I think is funny. It's like Green Acres. and then I can't remember the other one, but basically it's what the mayor met with Odin about. So Green I have acre a, gardens, maybe something like that. I can't remember. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so yeah, so then we go into our opening credits. Uh, we come back from commercial to, uh, a pretty lengthy flashback to a young Jesse kind of setting up the church, preparing it for his father's Sunday morning sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we get a lot of these in this episode. Yeah, the longest flashbacks we've seen mm-hmm. so far, like I the mean, full scenes, full yeah. scenes, yeah. Um, which I know I said that last week, but like this week especially, they're giving us more and more information about um, Jesse and his father's relationship when he was a boy. So we get the nice little montage of Jesse kind of setting up the church. Um, I, I kind of liked the, watching him struggle opening that wine bottle <laughs> just because like to know Jesse now is like a, he would not struggle with that bottle at all. But as nope. a kid, you know, it's like this is very innocent kid. He's trying to he's struggling to open the wine bottle. Um, yeah, I, I never had to do this when I was a kid, which I was really thankful for. <laughs> uh, my dad was a pastor um, growing up. But I never had to do anything like this. It was probably because we were in a much larger town, in a much uh, bigger church. But mm. watching this little montage, I was like, oh, man, I'm so happy I didn't have to do that <laughs> when I was a little kid. Um, but, yeah, not much to say about this particular yeah. flashback. Yeah, right. So uh, we come out of the flashback to uh, Jesse and the church, um, our boy Cassidy. <laughs> Um, comes in basically in sort of keeping with his word that he gave to Fiore and de Blanc, where he, he, he agreed to help basically, um, in sort of keeping with that, but not really. He does tell Jesse, he does try to talk to Jesse about there being two people who want to find him and, uh, want what's inside of him. But instead of him, like he had told Fiore and DeBlanc, like, I'll talk to him and see if I can get him to come around. 
Instead, he's like, hey, we should totally go on the road because these people are probably going to want to hurt you because they I thought they were trying to hurt me and I've killed and dismembered them already. (laughs) (laughs) And Jesse's just like, oh, that's good. Because Jesse's kind of off in his own little world in this in this bit. Like, oh, my God, that that moment made me laugh so hard. Where he just says, like, so I, you know, bunch of pieces in a suitcase and I buried it. And he just goes, good, good. good. I'm like, you're a preacher. <laughs> and then your best friend just told you that you just murdered and buried two people on your property. And you're just, your only reaction is good. That's how little he was paying attention. Yeah, he just he was in his own little world. Because um, I think after the events of, of last week, I think he's he's starting to really, like, internalize this whole idea of redeeming of, of redemption and sharing with the world this you know gift that he has mm-hmm. um so his his mind was already like several scenes ahead as we soon see where he goes next but yeah cassidy meanwhile is his usual kind of frantic all over the place self the only time jesse actually pays attention is to ask him if he's smoking weed from an apple mm-hmm. pipe um which the idea of that of a vampire smoking weed out of an apple inside of a church is i think incredible <laughs> and it's just like he he's found the the tree of knowledge yeah uh and he's eaten the fruit yeah because i mean really he's the only person that really knows anything of what's going on right now right uh, if you think about it, um, I just I really enjoyed that symbolism because the, the apple itself is always such a loaded mm-hmm. uh, symbolic thing inside of Christianity. Yeah. Because um, everybody assumes that's what Eve yeah. ate. But, yeah. you know, according to the Bible, it's not. But um, it's such a loaded symbol. Yeah. Um, for them to use that here as what Cassidy's smoking weed out of is just, oh, it's so good. Yeah. You made a note here about uh, kind of hinting at the road trip future of the series, which mm-hmm. makes me happy just because I do know that there is the aspect that it is a like road trip sort of comic where, mm-hmm. like we mentioned last week, he's going on the hunt for God. Um, so it will take him away from Anvil. Uh, so hearing Cassidy talk about like all these different places, especially like, especially Tijuana. And he's like, Oh, I have some stories about Tijuana. It's like, I think anybody that's gone to Tijuana probably has a story about Tijuana. I know I sure do. Yeah. It's a, well, it's the <laughs> second time that he's brought up Tijuana. Cause when we first met him in the pilot, yeah. that's where he was going. That's where he was going. Yeah. Um, the Tijuana of the places he lists mm-hmm. in that little, um, in that little sequence, the only one that I, don't believe they go to mm-hmm. in uh, the comic book is Tijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, but San Francisco, New York, did he say New Orleans? Yeah. San yeah. Francisco, New York, New Orleans, there's all um, aspects of the comic book that take place in those cities. So who knows mm-hmm. if we'll actually get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my theories is that they're going to plant um, Houston from last week's episode mm-hmm. as like a bigger part. Like they're not going to go to New York. Um, they're just going to go to Houston mm-hmm. as their big city. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, w- we shall see. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like that little hint at, to, at the larger, um, story that this thing is going to become. Yeah, for sure. Um, we go into another scene and this might be my favorite scene of the whole episode, actually. <laughs> um, just the way that it's directed, uh, and the way that it's written. Um, I, I, I appreciate that. And I, we talked about this earlier. I don't know if there, I don't know if there's a reason 
for the fact that Odin has such outdated <laughs> accessories at his disposal, or if it's the show's way of trying to convey how kind of backwater this town is. But I especially got a lot of delight out of watching his receptionist, assistant, whatever, kind of like fumble with this like little apple crate. To and Mr. then microphone. this like little handheld PA that has a like retractable microphone uh, and like she hands it to him, but she hands it to him by the cord. So then they kind of like fumble with it for a minute and then he like he gets exasperated and he just sort of yanks it. And then she just like very just stone faced doesn't even doesn't even not acknowledge it. She just kind of unravels this cord and like slowly walks out of frame. Um, and it had the nice little feedback on it, too, right before he talks. Mm-hmm. So it's just a really dry, like comedically dry scene um, having to do with something that was really upsetting and kind of fucked up. But he clearly doesn't give a shit. And I love that what he he the only thing he says is, is like, you know, you boys need to quit your roughhousing. And <laughs> if you ladies are going to be out here at night in your underwear, you need to watch where you're walking. Yeah. And that's all he says. And then he just walks away. And his poor receptionist has to pick up the apple crate and the PA and kind of stumble along after him in her high heels that are sinking into the mud. So she's kind of like wobbling as she walks. It's I think that was just like those little nuanced moments informed me so much about who these people are mm-hmm. um tulip is understandably fucking pissed yeah um that this is just like nobody seems to give a shit that this girl is dead and it because it was because they were out playing some fucked up game in the middle of the night and uh I, you made a note here about the chinatown reference i guess i didn't get that joke like what does um. that mean because well, I, I noticed that she said, like, that. well, this is Chinatown. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? There's no yeah. Chinatown in Anvil. So there's, um, y- you know, the movie Chinatown. Yes. Um, it ends on a, on a down note um, in a way where Jack Nicholson sees, uh, spoiler alert, um, he sees basically his love interest for the movie who he's figured out all this messed up stuff about cause he's a detective and he basically was using her, um, to s- help solve the case. Um, uh, she gets shot and killed, um, by the bad guy of the whole story. Uh, and he goes, he kind of goes to go after her cause she's driving away and then there's the shot and then you see the car wreck and then there's the classic head on the horn you know, just dead sound. Mm-hmm. Um, he tries to go after it. And one of the cops that's there stops him and says, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. Like you uh, can't, it's, yeah, yeah, it's okay. nothing that you can help. Like you're it, you're it, you're out of your element mm-hmm. is basically what that phrase means. Okay. And so that here we sense. see the, the brothel owner make that reference. Yeah. Um, and what I take that as like, you see in this, in this scene and then several other scenes throughout the rest of the episode, you really see the way that women are treated in this town. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can really see how somebody like Tulip could grow up to be the woman that she is now mm-hmm. um, in just not taking any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what that's really what the um, the madam was trying to say is like, girl, like you can't help this, basically. Yeah. Um, this is the way things are always are going to be. Men run the town. Yeah. Women don't matter. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, that's depressing and bleak, but. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, 
thankfully we all, we don't all live in Anvil. Yeah, this is true. Um, Especially the, if the entire <laughs> town is about to sink into the ground. But. Right. Yeah. So from there we go into um, another little funny moment. Um, not a scene that I necessarily like enjoyed as much as that one, but uh, we see Jesse going to Emily's house. Um, kind of, we kind of get a glimpse at some of the um, some of the wills that were turning in his head earlier in his scene with Cassidy, was where he was very distracted mm-hmm. um, because he proposes a raffle at the church to kind of ramp up attendance. Um, I love the the beginning of the scene specifically because. Uh, her kid opens the door and he says, hey, is your mom home? And he's just like, she's pooping. <laughs> <laughs> you can kind of see that she's the kid pooping. cracks a smile, too, yeah. which I love because it's it's I mean, I'm sure it's probably the actor. Yeah. Just being a young kid, enjoying somebody telling him to say she's, she's pooping, pooping over and over again. Yeah. Um, but it's it plays in that way. Yeah. Of, uh, this is a kid. I'm saying something I know I shouldn't say, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I really liked. Yeah. I love that they yeah, left that moment in there. That was a there. cute little moment. Um, so, yeah, Jesse proposes a raffle. Um, Emily, of course. I, she's And she's so sincere. She's very kind-hearted. And she just, I think she sincerely wants to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. She, you know, proposes, well, we can just, like, you know, we can get a gift certificate. And he's like, no, it's something people actually want. Yeah. And you can actually kind of see her face fall a little. Like, oh, okay, well, you're talking about my place of work. But yeah. that's okay. Um, cause of course she's never going to be like, fuck you, Jesse. Cause she has a crush on him, but huge. Jesse's totally oblivious. Or yeah. is he, is he, um, is he totally oblivious? I think let's it, be honest here. I think in this scene he's distracted. Well, yeah, for um, sure. he's not paying attention. But, I mean, you definitely see in earlier episodes, especially the end of the pilot where he wakes up in his room and yes. she's there yes. and he's in his underwear. Yes. Um, you see that they both have some sense of propriety around each other. Yes. Uh, I think he knows. I just don't think. I think Jesse has so much self-loathing and guilt that he thinks he would be bad for Emily and therefore he can't entertain the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I think he is. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, like any crush, I think she sees the best in him. Yeah, for sure. And wants the best for him, which for sure we'll see where they go with that. Well, yeah. And would do anything for him as is witnessed here. Cause he says, you know, even, um, would it well is it for him or is it so that Cassidy won't do it? I think it's probably a little bit of both, honestly. <laughs> I think it's I think it's for Jesse, but I also think she's like, Yeah, I don't really trust you I don't trust you to give Cassidy money and him not spend it on something else. A thousand dollars. We don't know this guy. Yeah. So if you're gonna be giving anybody money to go get a flat screen TV from Best Buy at eleven o'clock at night, it's gonna be me. But also I think she's a little bit like Oh, I'll do it. It's not a problem. I'll just get a sitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Jesse, because Jesse is so oblivious, is like, okay. <laughs> yeah, he, no idea how, I guess, the family unit works. Uh, so we go to commercial after that. Coming out of commercial, we have a uh, yet another pretty lengthy flashback uh, to young Jesse and his dad. Um, and we also get to see a baby tulip. Mm-hmm. A baby little tulip 
being a rebel rebel and smoking and blowing practicing smoke rings um getting jesse in trouble getting already. jesse in trouble already uh at a tender tender age um which is pretty his punishment is pretty intense um he he gets the belt right in front of all of his friends because his dad explains you know that he is an example as the preacher's son and people look to him mm-hmm. um and you can already see at a young age tulip is already sh- strongly in opposition of this um kind of like this whole idea of uh punishment obviously for you know consequent actions having consequences of course but also i think that might be a little bit of a signal at her um inevitable um disconnect from god as it were i think you can kind of see those seeds already being planted even then as as a young girl yes or at least that's how i read it um yeah i would say no i would say you're right and we see more of that uh later on in the episode episode, yeah. yeah My question to you as somebody who's read the comics, is this, um, is, is that true to, to form? Did Jesse and Tulip know each other as kids even? Um, I don't know if there's any reference in, to them knowing each other at that age. Uh, actually, no. I can say that with confidence. I just remembered something from the comic book. I just remembered how they met. So um, they, they did not know each other as children. No, they met, uh, they met in a bar. Um, I think Tulip was actually on a date or was going with a friend that was on a date and kind of being support. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, they, they met in a bar and they were like 18, 19, something like that. Okay. So they, yeah, they altered that, uh, pretty drastically. Okay. Okay. Um, we see Jesse kind of come out of that memory. Um, and there's a... Uh, ashtray that he's ashing into um, that is important for a little bit later on for another flashback that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, did you catch that the first time you saw it? Uh, yes, I did, actually. Yes. Huh. Yeah, I, I did didn't, catch I it. I didn't catch it till the um, second time. I did not catch it. I did not catch another aspect of the later flashback, uh, the other little item that he grabs off that table. I didn't see what that said until the second rewatch. <sighs> Here's, I have no idea what that said. I tried to freeze frame it and everything, but I... It's pretty I difficult to read, but Don't it's, get to watch the episodes in HD. Yeah. So it was unreadable for me. I'm, yeah. You'll have, you have to tell me what that it yeah, says once we, we get, get there. there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so we have another <laughs> nice little moment with Cassidy and Fiore and DeBlanc. Um, <laughs> these guys might be my favorite... Um, of of the, I think of the supporting characters. Yes, um, I, I want to see. I want to see Fiore. Like I would watch a show about Fiore going around and discovering how Earth works. Yes, yes, I had I the would same totally exact thought. Watch that. I would watch that. I would watch that all day, every day. He, some his some of his line readings are, they're so funny and. In that they're so just they're so simple and they're so un unfettered by uh, human care and concern. He's just so over it at this point, and it's so evident in the way that he del- the, the way that he talks to people. Um, even his word from also- heaven. But he's also like <laughs> so they're like and so even Cassidy confirming so you're angels. He's just like yes. <laughs> yeah, he's also like he puts on airs a lot. 
where he really tries to act all big and bad and you see him kind of like you know puffing his shoulders up when he looks at Cassidy at the end of the scene and he's like be specific <laughs> Cassidy's just like very soon yeah <laughs> like uh, he 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 tries to be intimidating and put on airs I mean he puts on the cowboy hat to go ask the <laughs> the, oh, the bellhop the, at the, the hotel yeah. for a burger later. Yeah. He just, yeah. he thinks the world works in a certain way or should work. Yeah. There's a certain sense of decorum to him. Yeah. Uh, that this, the world and especially Anvil just don't really yeah. uh, subscribe to. So it just makes him stick out like a sore thumb. Oh my God. Like, it's so DeBlanc, good. DeBlanc is definitely the one that would be like blend in and Fiore, yeah. Fiore would just stand up really straight thinking that that makes him blend in but in fact it makes him look really awkward and uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, which just inevitably will draw attention so the two of them are a buddy comedy that I would watch all the time um, but Cassidy Cassidy has some questions Cassidy also has some demands um, so yeah I really enjoyed this bit too because he, he's like alright I need to make notes he like gets out his little notepad and he's like okay so what exactly is in Jesse um, and again, they're very they're very oblique. They won't be very specific about it. But it's just something that, as DeBlanc says, it doesn't belong here. Um, still don't know what that means. I still have the theory that it's just like the voice of God, but I don't know. Um, but I like that Cassidy was kind of like jotting down notes. Um, and he, he's like, so how, how would you get it out? And I love that Fiore immediately just like very adamantly points at the chainsaw and is like, we cut it out. Yeah. Um, he's just, he, yeah, he's, he's just so done. He's so done. He's he so over it. He just wants to go home. Um, especially, <laughs> especially like the, the Blanc is then like, or we could sing it the, you know, it's favorite song. And Cassidy's like, oh, yes, I think that's I think that's the one we would prefer. I think that's the way we're going to go. Oh, he's like, oh, a song. And then he's like, he's yeah, he can wink and nod. And he's just like, right. Like, he just like, no, these guys are so weird and bizarre. And like, they're right. probably idiots. Of course. What other song would it be? Yeah, okay, of course. Sure. It's that yes, one. Yes, of course. It's that one. Um, but through some kind of maneuvering on Cassidy's part, he decides that he he made a note he's playing both ends against the middle which is that's so accurate because that's so Cassidy mm-hmm. um initially he asks for drugs and he plays it off like oh well Jesse will respond to that because he's a really bad drug addict <laughs> which we know is not at all he true starts listing off all these different <laughs> kinds of drugs China white I love beauties, his face when he's like red, um blues <laughs> uh, what does he say something about painkillers or barbiturates or something and his face kind of lights up and he's like oh he really likes those yeah <laughs> he's just he's just filing through his history yeah going back to all the all the drugs that he enjoys um so a question okay so mm-hmm. because these three actors have such distinct and very thick accents I still, even after watching it a second time, I still couldn't understand what Cassidy asked them. Did he say, no offense, but as angels, you're not, you're not into charity? Is that what he was asking them? Because they both laughed and they were like, no. I think it was something to that effect. I couldn't, I couldn't understand his line reading either. Um, And the way I watch it on demand uh, I haven't figured out how to put subtitles on, so sometimes Cassidy is a little hard to understand. Cassidy is a little hard to understand. Um, and that's a, that's the first line that uh, 
that I absolutely couldn't catch. Yeah, and I, I, I watched I it about four or five times, and I, 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 I have no idea either. what he says. Yeah. Some some joke. Yeah, I'm sure it was mildly amusing at, at <laughs> the least, but um, yeah, I got nothing. Okay, cool. I'm glad it wasn't just me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in it, he said, basically, in lieu of drugs, he will accept money, uh, and so they give him pretty much everything they have in their wallet. And then that's when we have that great moment where uh, Fiore says, you know, how soon? And he's like, uh, very soon? <laughs> he steps up to me, be specific. He's like, he's almost wide-eyed, yeah. like, come on, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> we he's just want to go. He, he's an addict that misses heaven. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we have this nice little moment after Cassidy leaves where Bianca and, uh, DeBlanc and Fiore are talking about, you know, basically, I don't trust him. Um, they go to retrieve this box mm-hmm. that has like a phone in it. It's a phone. Is it? A f- it's a phone. Because it, it doesn't look like a phone in the in the proper sense of the word. It like there's no is receiver. a phone. I don't think it has like a receiver. I think it's kind of like um, kind of like an old timey music box. Okay. Type of device. I don't really know. Okay. Um. I don't know if it's any specific res- reference to like a classic, mm-hmm. you know, nineteen ten phone yeah. or something like that. I have no. Well, I have no point of reference there. Whatever it is, I gathered that this is the device that they can use to communicate with, I, I guess, basically heaven, the home mm-hmm. office, if they need to. Yep. Because um, even Fiore says we, you know, we, we need, we should call them, um, which. There's an interesting tidbit of information there, though. Okay. Um, well, DeBlanc answers with, yeah. if they find out we're down here without, without permission. Without permission, yeah. So that kind of clued me in a little bit more about what's going on with them. Uh, you can see why they're being very strange and shady um, and, and really desperate to uh, get this thing out of Jesse. Um yeah. They're two angels on the run. Yeah. They're not supposed to be there. Mm-mm. Um, so we have a nice little lead out of this scene with DeBlanc basically saying, we can't call them because they don't know that we're here, so we're just going to have to trust him, meaning Cassidy, um, which then has a nice little lead into Cassidy getting fucked up mm-hmm. and getting a BJ from mm-hmm. a hooker. Yeah. <laughs> So we can see that he clearly is not in any hurry to try to talk to Jesse again about these two guys, um, which, you know, why would he be? He got his drugs. He got what he wanted. Well, they're doing a really um, cool way of handling a, a, a big aspect of Cassidy in the comic books um, is that he's an addict. Um, and instead of just outright telling us he's an addict or having him shoot heroin on screen. We're seeing it play out in the way that he basically betrays friends or betrays other people's trusts, which I think is what Emily sees in him, that she's just like, nope, cannot give that guy $1,000 and trust him to come back with a TV. Um, He'll find some way to mess it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, But here we see him not only betray DeBlanc and Fiore, but, you know, he takes this money and he says it's for Jesse and Jesse's trying to, you know, fix the air conditioning, buy this TV. And he's the one that's having money problems. And Cassidy goes and spends it on drugs and hookers. Um, and I think that's a really it, they're handling that 
in a very uh, so, uh, with a light hand, with a light touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really, I really like that. Um, yeah, I like the way they're laying it out. Yeah, that's interesting too. I, I appreciate you mentioning how Emily kind of sees him because um, Emily can can realize this person is an addict. Um, we're not trusting him with this much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also she's trying to kind of not necessarily tell Jesse outright, I don't think you should trust this guy, but she's kind of trying to steer him away from him. Um, so, yeah. Uh, next scene is Odin in his office playing on his ancient ass computer. Mm-hmm. Um, do you recognize that game? No idea. That game was uh, was installed in older model Dell desktop computers. It was kind of like the stock game that came with the Dell computer. How do you know this? What is it called? I don't remember. And it's going to drive me crazy until I can find out. But um, someone out there, if you know what that next is, week, I'll probably have found it by then. And I, I'll, I'll say it. But or, yeah, or send us an email. Yeah. But I immediately real I re- immediately recognized it. I was like, oh, that was installed on the first Dell computer I ever had. Weird. Yeah. Um, so he gets a buzz from his receptionist and it's the mayor come to meet with him. Another great bit of sound mix. Yes. Cause we hear the game. Literally he loses a level as he Mm -hmm. sighs like, Oh God, I have to meet with this idiot. You hear the little (laughs) killing his mood instantly. Yeah. I, I appreciated that sound mix as well. Um, yeah, I wish it, one thing I've noticed about the show is they don't really list credits on public spaces, but um, kudos to whoever is the sound mixing person or team that's working on the show because you guys do a fantastic job. Um, mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's it's outstanding. Yeah. Um, so we haven't you made a note here about the picture that's on Odin's desk. I was just more curious as to who it was because again, I I can't watch it in HD, um, so uh, all the faces were really blurry. But they the camera hones in on it, and so I was wondering if you noticed anything there. I was actually going to ask you about that picture if you could see anybody that you recognized. Um, no, it looked to me like it was kids. Yeah, it was just a it was just a bunch of kids. But so. was Odin in the picture too? Yeah, he's in the picture. Okay. Yeah, he was kind of like down left of center if you're looking at the photo. Gotcha. Yeah, so he's in the, he's in the picture, but it's like a bunch of kids it, f- from what it looked like to me. So, um, it would be really interesting if if they gave Odin a backstory here. He doesn't really have one in the comic books. Yeah. Uh, they don't really delve into it at all. So it'll be interesting to see if they justify him, if they try to justify him being mm-hmm. um, the big bad, which I presumed uh, he was going to be mm-hmm. for this season. But as we see later in the episode, that may not be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's why I made that note about the picture. I, I mm-hmm. couldn't see who was in it. Now I was curious. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so he's having a meeting with the mayor, um, who the mayor seems like he's just, he's just trying to be a, a good public servant. He's just trying to do the right thing by everybody. and um, He's just not good at it. But though. he's not good at it at all. 
and he doesn't have any balls to speak of. So he's constantly being taken advantage of um, and quite literally being <laughs> shitted and pissed, pissed on. on. Um, as we find out later in the episode, this is not the first incident for him. Maybe even in that week, maybe even in that day where somebody literally was just shitting and pissing all over him, mm-hmm. um, which is so sad because he's it, I, I root for him. But God help him. He does not have the strength and fortitude to survive in this world for very long. It doesn't seem like but yeah, um, I have no sympathy for him yeah. whatsoever. So he's he's trying to pitch Odin um a meeting with this environmental company. Um, and this is where my theory about what's causing the sinkholes kinds of co- comes into play. Um, because in this, this pitch that he's kind of pitching to Odin about, you know, you really should meet with these guys. They have a lot of really innovative ideas about, um, preserving soil quality. And, um, I, I have this theory and I don't know. I mean, I could be completely off cause I don't understand how any of that works. Um, but I think that the sinkholes are directly connected with something that uh, Odin's company is doing. Um, yes. Maybe not intentionally. Maybe it's just toxic waste that's coming out of the factory. I don't know what kind of waste that would mean because he literally owns a meat packing plant and a power plant in one. Yeah, but, but pow- power plants are not exactly the cleanest no. of operations. So there's a there's a part of me that thinks that these sinkholes are di- Odin Odin's company is directly responsible for. Mm-hmm. Um, but because toxic waste, <laughs> what we know from like the classic villain in a comic book trope. Uh, toxic waste is really hard to get rid of and it's very expensive and it can create radioactive bats and penguins and shit. Um, or cans of cane corn. Right, right. For so, all you wet hot American summer fans, watchers. cans of uh, cream corn can talk to you. But yeah, so toxic waste is generally, you know, I, I'm assuming as a rule from every trope I've ever fucking seen, is kind of expensive to get to dispose of uh, mm-hmm. legally and properly. So there's a part of me that thinks that there's some sort of toxic waste coming out of Odin's company that's making the soil quality like really poor. So there's all of these. It's basically like eroding the earth. And so it's causing these sinkholes. So I think like. That might be another reason why he was at that, the girl getting brought out of the ground. Um, Not only because it was his employees and not only because it was on his land, but maybe he was trying to do just a little bit of damage control. Maybe. Um, I I mean, it's definitely why the mayor is here. Yes. The mayor is kind of like. This happened on your turf. I I know this is you. it wasn't just a cow that. Let's let's be civil and you try to fix this problem that you've created. Right. Is really what I think the mayor is saying. He's just not man enough to come out and say it. And as we've seen on this show, this is a town run and controlled by big bad men who Jesse is now a a member of, that little posse in a way. Um, Yeah, and that's kind of why I have no sympathy for the mayor is he doesn't know his environment Mm -hmm. at all. He's He's too nice to get anything done in this town, and that's why Odin... Um, has walked over him for so long, and Odin is really the most powerful man in the city. So, can you tell me a little bit about the story that Odin tells the mayor about his grandfather before he pisses in his briefcase? Um, I have some questions about that, too. Not really for you. Um, I need to go name-check some things, because they may be referencing... 
characters that have something to do with the cowboy um, that we saw at the beginning of episode two, I believe it was. Um, he, uh, I don't think that Odin is a descendant of the cowboy. Um, I just need to go check and see if those names are, um, are dropped as characters. Cause I, we spend a good bit of time at one point in the comic, we spend a good bit of time in the town of Ratwater in the 1800s. Um, so uh, I don't know. It's not, it's not something that's specifically referenced in the comic book. To, to my knowledge, I need to go name check some things on okay. that. But Sure. Um, but yeah, he basically tells this story about his grandfather. Um, which I guess the gist of is like, basically, we don't back down. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure there was some sort of... Uh, he's kind of talking about... Um, like, I guess I just wasn't understanding the point of the story. So could you... If there's a problem, I'll fix it. Basically, he's he's trying to intimidate the mayor because he's talk, he's telling a story about his how his ancestors killed a bunch of people mm-hmm. that tried to move in on their turf. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of we don't back down, we don't take kindly to outsiders, um, and it's a little bit of I think in Odin's mind, it's uh, if you have a problem, solve it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no need. I don't think he subscribes to the idea that the earth needs to be saved. Yeah. Um, you know, he's just, he's out for himself. Gotcha. And he, and so he's, when he looks at a problem that he's facing, he's the only one that's going to try to fix it. Mm-hmm. Is, okay. what I, is what I read that story as. Okay. Um, yeah. And I guess just because the mayor's not getting the, getting the gist of what he's trying to communicate. He just walks over and just proceeds to piss all in his briefcase mm. and all over this brochure for this green initiative company that the mayor is don't encouraging. Look at me. And then he says, don't look at me. And then he says, plain as pie. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I love Jackie Earl Haley. Um, it's, it's kind of, in, it's kind of a treat. It's kind of interesting to watch him play a character like this who isn't outright and obviously evil. Um, but there's nothing, well... He, he is outright and obviously evil, or no, he isn't? No, he's not. He's not outright and obviously evil. Yeah. Uh, he's an asshole. The way they are playing him, yes. he's not outright and obviously evil yet. But he's, I mean, he's an asshole, but he's not... Nothing about him right now makes me just like, oh, that guy, I hate that guy. I am a little bit like, that guy's a dick. But there's nothing about that about last week when he was sitting listening to cows being slaughtered? I mean... There was a guy watching, like watching a snuff film, and I was like, "That guy is fucked up." But then, listen, like him listening to cows being slaughtered on the scale of a one to ten, I was like, "Oh, that's like a three compared to what that dude was watching." <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we so we come out of that scene and uh, <laughs> we go into commercial. And then we come right back into another commercial, which is for the biggest Texas burger. (laughs) And Fiore, (laughs) I love this bit, too, because Fiore, um, the phone rings, uh, but it's not clear which one. 
And so, and even DeBlanc is like, don't you answer that phone? Um, and Fiore answers it anyway. And it's, I, I'm assuming it's the front desk asking when they're going to check out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's like, check out very soon. Um, <laughs> I love, I love that moment. And watching it the first time, I didn't like it because I was like, oh, this is so obviously the, the hotel phone. And because they were playing it up so much that it was the other phone Mm -hmm. that it was just kind of like, I was just like, no, this is so obvious. Mm -hmm. But I love this as a setup for the last scene in the, in the episode. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I I will forgive it for that. It sets up uh, a really great joke. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, (laughs) putting his hat on. And going to the door and DeBlanc asking where he's going. And he just very plain, I'm hungry. Um, The way he delivers that line almost makes me wonder if it's even necessary for them to eat. Um, And if it's not, but he's, he's just like, he sees this commercial for a burger and it just. It appeals to him in some way. way. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So like there was almost a way that he says this line where he's almost in disbelief that he's hungry. He's kind of like a little bit surprised by the fact that something that human and something that he might not need as an angel kind of seems appealing to him right then. Um, I don't I I think up until this point, he's never eaten anything. I don't think so. I don't think either one of them have. He just saw something and it was like, oh, it to American commercialization. Yeah. He saw something that appealed to him. Yeah. And said, oh, I think I know what to do with this. Yeah. So he goes to the front desk in his hat, you know, in his his suit. And he asks for one big ass Texas burger, please. And the poor guy at the desk is like, well, we don't have a restaurant. We don't have room service. We got a vending machine. So there's this like nice little depressing shot of him standing at the vending machine looking at Cheetos and Milk Duds and I mean that's such a that's such an interesting little I guess a little view of our our culture and our society I guess I don't know. So there's well, something there's something kind of bitter and not bitter but there's something kind of ironic and a little bit sad uh, in an angel standing looking at a vending machine. <laughs> Well, because I'm, he can't have a biggest Texas burger. <laughs> I'm going to be purposely vague here, but that sets up something later for these characters. That he's totally addicted to Cheetos now? Um, sure. Because <laughs> um, at the end of the episode, I really do love that you see him eating Cheetos and looking at his hands just covered in that filthy that shit you get powder. all over you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, the next thing that we get into, um, I was not actually expecting this, but now that since it's happened, it actually makes quite a lot of sense. Um, But Emily and the mayor, that's kind of something that I didn't see coming. But then as soon as it kind of started to manifest, it was like, oh, this makes total fucking sense. Well, and there's a little bit where I was like, I don't know. There was like a twinge of sadness that she wasn't like, I don't want to say there's that whole thing of like nobly being chased for the one that you love kind of thing. Um, There was a little bit of twinge of sadness that she, I was like, Oh, she's sleeping with somebody other than Jesse. And then I, and then I, and then I kind of went, 
Oh, girl, get yours. Yeah, no, I'm totally happy she's sleeping with somebody that's not Jesse. Yeah. Like, I don't think that she and Jesse are a thing ever. Yeah. Um, oh, no, I don't think so either. Um, I, I just, mean, I just think too, she's... She's way too good for him. She's way too good for Jesse. See, that's kind of why I was like, but, I, I thought she was so pure of spirit that she would be, and, and a, you know, quote unquote, godly Christian woman oh, being... No head of the church no. that she would be no. chased. I don't know. It, no. was, it was an idea that I had. I but. don't have a problem with her. Like, I don't have a problem with her sleeping with somebody that's not Jesse. I think she's too good for Jesse and that she's just a very strong woman. Uh, and she's, I just don't think she could handle Jesse. I don't think she could. No, 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 no. Yeah. She, she has no idea Jesse. what Jesse actually is like. Right. So she's in love with the idea of being in love with a pastor. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a weird thing that happens from time to time. Weird. That is very weird. Yeah. No, it's. Is it just like the appeal of like a man of God? Um, like you're I think, like the upright, I think so. And then I think it's also the Christian pillar of the community. The, the always listening ear. Um, yeah. It's also, it's also like a man of power. Yeah. Kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And she has the opportunity to be with, uh, in, 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 you know, I guess in government terms, she has the opportunity to be with a man of power. She has the opportunity to be with the mayor. Um, but he's just trying so hard. And he's just such a bumbling idiot. He is. And he's such a pushover. Oh, my God. So he tells the story about how somebody shits in his driveway. And even as he's telling the story, he's still telling the story in a way that makes this man look to look at look out to be like a sympathetic creature. And he but he's talking about someone shitting in his driveway. And he's like, well, he was <laughs> conflicted, though. He helped me clean it up. And it's like, dude, no, somebody took a dump in your driveway because they didn't agree with you saying no to them. That's not OK. And even with him saying like Odin, he doesn't even tell her the story. I assume he doesn't tell her the story about Odin peeing in his briefcase, but he just... I don't know. Pillow talk. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Guess what happened to me today? Guess what happened to me today? One guy shit in my driveway and the other pissed <laughs> in my briefcase. Um, so that just makes that scene all the more kind of just really pathetic and depressing because he's just gotten pushed around all week, all day. And then she just comes out and says, you know, I'm never going to be with you, right? But then, like, takes her pants off and says, uh, be out of here before morning. Kids almost caught you last time. Yeah, before sunrise. So this has been happening for a bit. I'm going to I'm going to say it's probably been happening a few times for a, for a good while. Enough, enough times that he almost got caught at least once. Yeah. Um, He's just getting run over well, and, by and everybody, and including her. That casual a thing for her to do to just take off her pants and walk away. Kind of just like, all right, let's get this over. Like, that's how often or how long this has been going on is the way that I read it. It's not even there's not there's no sense of romance to it. Um, who knows if it started that way? Uh but yeah, she just casually gets up, takes her pants off and walks away. And it's just like, yep, come on, let's go. Um, that's my big clue that this, this has been happening for quite a while, which really just makes me sad for those characters. Cause you just see the, like the thing that the level to which she'll stoop to feel love some, um, 
semblance of love. Um, and the way that he will, uh, I mean, he'll just grovel for sex. I mean, he basically talks her into drinking. And then, you know, that in a way leads to that moment between he and uh, Emily. Um, you know, I don't really want to draw too strong of a connection between drinking and sex because right now, culturally, that's a very um, sensitive topic with the Stanford case and all that. But, um, like, I'm, I don't. I want to say that not, I don't think that he's being, um, rapey no. in a way. I don't, I, I don't even, I don't even think he's bold enough to do that, but I do think he's, um, you know, this is the only game that he has Yeah. in a way. And she, she doesn't even really feel sorry for him. She's just going to kind of, you know what? Like he says, you know, you look like you need, you know, a moment for yourself Mm-hmm. And then she takes it at the end of the scene. At the end of the scene, she just says, "Well, you know what? I'm going to get mine for for a change. Yeah, not for a change because this has been happening. But um, mm-hmm. I'm going to get mine. Um, and yeah, and so she takes her pants off and leaves the room. Which <laughs> I, the and fact, he still he rinses out both the wine glasses and yeah. puts them on the drying oh, thing. God. Yeah, he's just. He's just a bit of a pushover. He's so sad. Yeah. So sad. Yeah. Uh, so from that, we jump right into a little memorial service at the brothel in honor of Lacey and her peaceful ways. And one of the girls is reading a parable about uh, about oxen, which Tulip points out at the end of, what the fuck do oxen have to do with this? Um. Yeah, Tulip is pretty much like, is nobody else kind of pissed that there's a dead girl and nobody cares? Like, is that really what this town is about? And it's almost like the way she interrupts that one girl, because it's right in the middle of a girl saying all the things that she remembered about. um, She liked to eat. Is it Lacey? Lacey. She liked to watch TV. Yeah. And she liked (laughs) to eat and she liked to try on different shoes. (laughs) Tulip is like. What the fuck? Yeah, it's almost like she's the only one that actually recognizes Lacey as a as a person. Um, and we see that the way that he she, you know, almost wanted to come to her aid last week mm-hmm. with Clyde. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, we're getting that big strong motivation. I, Clyde's speech here, I think, is really going to come back to bite him in the ass. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe just come back to bite him, <laughs> if you will. Oh, um, okay. Interesting that you put it that way. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, but not in the way that we necessarily want to have yeah, happen in this sure. episode. So talk to me a little bit about, um, so Tulip, we find out that Tulip's mom worked in the brothel. Talk to me a little bit mm-hmm. about that. Um. This is a pretty big departure from the comic books. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Tulip's mom because I don't. Uh, who knows what they'll do with her father? Um, but her mom dies at childbirth in the comics. Yeah. 
She's not around. Um, she, it's, it's, man, I don't want to get too far into this because it's a really great story, but I don't know what they're going to do with her dad. So I don't really want to, uh, I don't want to accidentally spoil something, even though I just want to tell the story cause it's a really sweet, beautiful story, uh, okay. of, of a father loving his daughter. Um, but yeah, so they, they, they've drastically changed Tulip's backstory. Uh, we'll see if they bring in the father, if she even knows who that is, given her mom worked in a brothel. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, her mom died in childbirth in the, in the comic book. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Okay. And she was not a prostitute. I, should, I won't say that. Yeah. Um. Uh, so the kind of <laughs> climax of this scene is uh, Tulip finally just, just sort of gets fucking fed up, uh, especially with Clive and his bullshit. Um, so she goes upstairs she busts into the room, and is that a golf club that she takes to him? I mean, what every, is it? Here's the thing: the weird thing about this part in my mind is because Cassidy's there, and um, because of the shape of the object, which it may very well be a golf club. I keep like every time I think back on it, I see it as the the prayer candle snuffer. That Cassidy had last week, oh like my God. in my mind, I don't know if that's if that's real or not. I, I need to go back and watch it again. What it is? If it, if that's what it is, what the hell is it doing in a brothel? Cassidy took it with him. Oh my God! Um, but every time I I think back on that moment, that's all I see in my head. So I I honestly can't say. My, well, my memory's yeah. gotten mixed yeah. up in a weird way. So yeah, so come to find out, it's actually Cassidy who she is wailing on and who falls out the window. Um, because Clive appears in the doorway with another girl. So then we have this nice moment of Tulip sort of going into a panic, like, but if that wasn't you, then who was it? And then we get a shot of Cassidy laying on naked, naked. Na- well, he had a shirt yeah, on, he a shirt on. <laughs> he was just True. naked from the waist down, uh, with a piece of glass stuck in his neck. Um, so, okay. So I know that we've seen these two together in a scene. But I'm assuming this is the first time they've met. Like, they've definitely, actually seen each other. Definitely the first time they've met. Because we saw them in the pilot in the church, and he's a few pews behind her. But I don't, other, mm-hmm. I don't, think, I don't think they ever saw each other face to face. So this was kind of a cool little moment for me in the car when she's holding him and he's bleeding all over the place and she's talking to God. You know, I know, I know we're mad at each other, but please, please, please do the right thing. I'll be good. I'll be so. And then she almost, she almost goes to say, I'll be so goddamn good. And then she stops herself and she's like, I'll be so damn good. You won't even know I'm there. (laughs) Um, So I thought that was really funny. Uh, And then Cassidy, Cassidy's just, he says, kiss me. Ever the charmer. Ever the charmer. Even he's, even as he has a piece of glass lodged in his throat. And so she does. So he's, he's laying on, laying on pretty thick. Oh, he is milking this thing for everything it's worth. He knows (laughs) he's not going to die. He's just fine. Yeah. He knows he's fine, fine, but he's got his head in the lap of a pretty girl who's fawning over him in in a, in a weird way. Yeah. And he's going to milk it. Yeah. Um, he's also probably high and drunk as is shit. Is this scene in the comics? Um, no. They mate in a different way. 
Their meeting has much more to do with Tulip's introduction in the pilot. Okay. Um, and they basically hate each other until they run into Jesse. Um, they're kind of like their own little road trip buddies mm. for a split second because uh, she's trying to get away from something. Um, Cassidy can't drive during the day. Mm-hmm. He sleeps underneath the tarp in his truck bed. Um, and Tulip drives oh. during the day. Oh. So they're kind of their own little road trip crew. That's that's kind of cute. <laughs> they they do not like each other. They think each other is so weird. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. It's kind of like, it's this merry band of misfits mm-hmm. that comes together. But yeah, they... Um, no, this is not how they meet each other. Don't want to say about that. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Um, so you made a note here, the shot of Cassidy with the glass in his neck. What's that about? I just really like that shot. He's just so calmly sitting there with a piece of glass lodged in his neck. <laughs> and, um, you know, because of who Cassidy is... And because this sh- this show is the way it is, and no one really knows or believes that he is a vampire, um, I just feel like that's something you would never ever see in any other vampire movie. Is a is a vampire sitting in a hospital with a piece of glass lodged in his neck, and just the way it's framed and lit and everything, it was just a really great shot. Yeah. Um, I just really enjoyed <laughs> just that shot. It made me laugh when it cut right to that. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, yeah, I like the, the bit too with the little nurse where she's like, you know, this guy's bleeding. He needs a doctor. And the lady just kind of leans over and is like, what man? Mm-hmm. And he's not there cause he's managed to crawl his way into the blood bank. The very obvious trail of blood. <laughs> yes. Leading all the way to the blood bank. Um, I love his, <laughs> I love how much he doesn't care that someone just walked in and saw him drinking blood. Yeah. She walks in. She's just like, what in the world? And he's just like, you were right, love. I think I'm going to make it. <laughs> uh, and he's just covered in blood. Um, yeah, he's he's fully revived, but still a little drunk, I think. Mm-hmm. And probably still a little high. Yeah. Um, so out of the next commercial break, we... Uh, arrive at our uh, at our final flashback um, and the one that I believe is leading us r- really quickly to that moment that we saw in the pilot with Jesse's dad uh, we kind of get more huh. of, we kind of get in my opinion anyway I at least got the sense that um, whoever it was that they go to visit is directly tied to who kills Jesse's dad. Um, why, why so? Because it wasn't a hospital. You made a note that it's a hospital visit. It wasn't a hospital. It was an office. Because the name, on, the name on the door is Odin Ken Cannon. Okay, I could not read that. Yeah. Um, it's an office they, they go to. I, I had a thought that maybe it would have been... Mm-hmm. Uh, Odin, like Odin Ken Cannon was in the hospital or somebody who knew was in the hospital. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I connected that back to, to the picture. Mm-hmm. Cause I thought maybe that Odin had had somebody in his life die. 
mm-hmm. and that's it. That's why he is the way he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that's very interesting. No, it's I didn't definitely that. an office building of some sort, and it's Odin Ken Cannon's office that he goes into. Um, but we see the 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 we see the backstory to the ashtray, um, and what was on the pen? Yeah, what's on the pen? Uh, it's monogrammed uh, initials of uh, QMAP, which is Ken okay. Cannon. Yeah, Mean Power. Power. Yeah. So uh, that I mean, that's all it was. And he probably would be about Jesse's dad's age. Yes. Yeah. Now. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. So uh, whatever is said in that room, it obviously doesn't go well. Um, mm-hmm. because Jesse's dad comes out, says the line, some people just can't be saved. And Did then you hear they, what Odin was shouting? No, I couldn't hear what he was shouting. Uh, uh, denounce it. He was trying to prove, basically, I think he and Jesse's dad got in a theological argument. Um, which is one reason I think that the, the scene that we get next, um, uh, where Odin and Jesse are talking, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a meeting that's happened many times yeah. over the years. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he, he's basically, I think they got in a theological argument. Okay. And Odin probably won. Okay. And so the dad stormed out, but, the, but Odin wants Jesse's dad to say it. He wants him to okay. say that he's right. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, coming directly out of that flashback, we now see Odin and Jesse, um, all these years later talking, which what was interesting about that is the way that that scene played as if they were kind of old friends. Like this is something they've done before. They've worked on this this figurine before. I think it's Um, definitely, definitely a meeting that occurs with some, yeah, some regularity. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're the best of friends. No, though. they seem at ease, but I, but it's almost that ease of I'm the most powerful man in town and you're the preacher. We kind of have to, we have to kind of play the game well, a and, little bit with each other. And Odin even says at one point, it's like, you know, the rules. I don't tell you about, I don't tell you how I make my meat and, and you, don't, you talk don't talk about, about your, your man in the, sky. in the sky. Yeah. 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 So there's definitely a lot of that. I want to know more about that relationship, especially if Odin has something to do with Jesse's dad's murder. Um, that would be an interesting, uh, that would be an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't in the comics. We meet Odin much later on. Okay. I gotcha. Um, I gotcha. But that would be an interesting little adaptation. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you think that Jesse orchestrated this meeting solely with the purpose of trying to use his ability on Odin? Not use his ability here. I think he fully plans to use his ability at the Sunday church service. So you don't think that you don't think he was just thinking on his feet and kind of threw out that bet kind of as a last resort? No. Okay. So you think he, he had planned it all along. He was going to come. He was going to invite him to church. With the sole purpose of getting him in the church and then commanding him there. Yes. Okay. Um, and I think he... I think Do you he, think that goes back to him saying earlier in the episode, by the time I'm finished, that place is going to be packed? Yes. Okay, so you think I, that he's going to use Odin as an example? What, yes. What I, think what, he, what I think is really going on is, and I spoke briefly about this earlier, is I think Odin, Odin is the most powerful man in the town. Right? Would you agree? Yes. Um... Odin is the most powerful man in the town. 
He's also notoriously corrupt. So if Jesse could get the most powerful man in town, who's also notoriously corrupt and probably one of the worst people in town, to repent of his sins and become a believer, that church would be full every Sunday. They would believe, because they would believe in Jesse. And that's where this gets tricky, and that's where there's like a lot of um, really ominous things I think are happening right now is because Jesse is, is trying to get everyone to believe in him and not necessarily God, which is a very slippery slope for a preacher. Um, it's not, it's, he's stepping away from being altruistic in, in these last few moments of this episode. Um, and so we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Um, and whether or not he really he really will have to pay for his hubris, um, but yeah, I, I think that that was kind of his plan all along. Um, when it comes to Odin, yeah, that was going to be his miracle yeah. in a way. Okay. Um, yeah, so he throws down that bet. You know, you've you've always wanted my father's land. It's the biggest plot of land that you don't already own. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, 40 hectares. If you don't come... They, they measure it in hectares. Yeah. If you don't come... Which is a lot of land, by the way. That is a, a tremendous amount of land. Is that... And I'm assuming that's the land that the house and the church are on. Mm-hmm. That's that land. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he basically says, uh, if you don't come to church and leave a Christian, you can have you can have the land. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I saw it. You've, you've made a couple of notes here about this bit. Um, not exactly. Most of my notes were more about um, his. Uh, it was more about, more about the theological discussion they have leading up to this. Uh, there's a slight bit of Game of Thrones shade slash reference that happens there. What is that? And Jesse says, "What if there's what if there's fire?" And then Odin just goes, what if there's ice? Oh, like, God. It's, uh, you can't tell me for a show that airs on Sunday nights the same time as Game of Thrones that they're not just saying, like, hey, tip of the cap. I mean, that could also be a reference to Shakespeare, though, because Shakespeare is the originator of some say the world will end in fire, some say others say in ice. Okay. So, okay. But okay. I, I, could see, I could see the Shakespeare reference. Um, I'll allow Game of Thrones, though. Okay. <laughs> we, we will meet in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, uh, I think the, the symbolism of them working on the Alamo, mm-hmm. uh, beyond just being both of them in Texas, um, you know, if that's a reference to this is Jesse's Alamo in the way that he's trying to get people into the church, you know, this is his last stand. This mm-hmm. is his last resort. Mm-hmm. I don't really read it that way. I think this is kind of part of his bigger plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more of, like I said earlier, it's a it's an ominous symbol, especially the way that, that they frame that last shot where it's the bird's eye view and it's retreating upward. Mm-hmm. Uh, Take your hands off. Of and so um, I think this is a this is a big moment because it's the beginning of the end for one of these characters. Um, and I think I texted you earlier in the week when I had seen a commercial for it. I was like, uh, oh, uh, 
Jesse's going to get on Odin's radar this week. I didn't really know it was going to be in this sort of situation that they were going to have a friendly conversation. I thought it was going to be much more hostile, which is saying something about this scene mm-hmm. um, and about who I think both those characters are. But, um, yeah, I think this is that land is probably going to be the Alamo for one of these two characters. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's that's all I'm going to say about that. Fair enough. Um, so we go to our final commercial break and we come back to Sunday morning. Uh, church service is in full swing. Um, Jesse's delivering actually like a really good sermon. I mean, it's, it's fire and brimstone, of course. Uh, but it's, it's, it's actually a pretty good sermon. He's, he's, he's kind of leveling with everybody. He's being very honest, um, in that, as he says, the world is turning to shit and it's all your fault because you've lost, you've, you've lost sight of God. Um, you've put faith in your, your belongings to save you. And did you notice who wasn't at the service? Tulip. Uh, and no, Cassidy. No, I was going to say Arseface. Yeah, Arseface wasn't there. We yeah. didn't get we didn't get any Arseface this week, but uh, when they show his dad, um, and then don't show him, I was like, whoa, um, because that one, I think it would have been really cruel for him to hear this sermon uh, with some of the things that he's struggled with in past episodes. But sure. Um, sure. that was that was one omission that I noticed. I was like, oh, we didn't get. Yeah. We didn't get any scenes with him this week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's delivering this sermon that's very much, um, you know, your possessions are not going to save you. Uh, your your alcoholism or your addiction will not save you. Your kids love. None of that will save you. And when, um, when he says sex and it shows the mayor. <laughs> yeah. And then he kind of looks over at Emily. Um, yeah. Yeah. So... Basically, this is this is Jesse's big proclamation moment of I'm going to be the one to bring you. I'm going to be the one to bring the flock back to the shepherd. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be that person. Um, and he starts uh, by his own by his own admission. He, he says, we're going to start today. And he's he walks right up to Odin and he's going to start with Odin. Um, I I saw this coming. Of oh, him, totally. Of him leaning down and saying, you know, are, are you going to serve God? Uh, and Odin just being flat out, no, no, yeah. I'm not. Um, I completely saw that coming. Uh, I saw and I actually even kind of saw that Jesse was going to continue to ask. What I didn't see coming was that I thought that there was going to be a moment where Jesse was going to try to use the voice and it wasn't going to work. Um, so when he did, in fact, use the voice, I was like, okay, whew, it does work. Well, but then I, I there think, was a moment I where I was like, did. Odin's not going to be susceptible to it because he denounced God. Uh, uh, so I didn't expect that there was going to be that little twist and turn at the end there. Well, I mean, if you think about it outside of this is. In a way, this thing that's inside of Jesse is a force that he can't con- he can't control, right? It's a it's a cognizant like a cognizant thing. Yeah. According to Fiore and DeBlanc, 
Yeah. Um, so this is, it's not totally up to him, I think, right now. I don't think Jesse can control it. So I do think there is that moment where he's, he's trying to work up to it. And finally it takes him getting mad mm-hmm. at Odin that it finally works. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, it, every other time that he's used it up until this point, it's when he's been very angry at something, whether it's Donnie holding a gun is to his head. Um, the pedophile. Yeah. What was yeah. the pedophile's name? Yeah. Um, um, Linus. Linus. Yeah. Um, and then here he has to work up to being angry at Odin Ken Cannon. Um, so I think this is, it's a funny little scene because I think yeah. it's Jesse showing his power, but he's also seeing that he's not totally in control of this power. Yeah. Um, you know, even when he's dealing with Cassidy last week and he's making Cassidy do all the things, he's doing it with a very, like he's, a- he's angry. His brow is furrowed. He's almost shouting, but he's mm-hmm. getting joy out of, Cassidy basically hurting himself. Yeah. Not necessarily just doing things just for the hell of it. Yeah. Um, huh. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's kind of, I, I, yeah, I don't think he's totally in control of that power yet. Fair enough. Uh, he commands Odin to serve God mm-hmm. and then asks, will you serve God? And Odin very enthusiastically, yes, I will. Of course. Yes. Yes, I will. So uh, it's an, it's another one of those things kind of hearkening back to um, to the pilot of. Uh, OK, so how specific does he need to be? Uh, what does serve God mean to uh, Odin Ken Cannon? Yeah. And, um, and well, and how, um, I mean, only time is going to tell with that one. Is it absolute or is it subjective to the person? Um, cause you know, Odin, Odin's kind of a weird dude. We've seen that. So he could take serve God in a way that Jesse does not, that Jesse totally doesn't mean, um, and think that he's doing 100% right. Um, Oh man, there's a, this may be the, the origin story of something that we see in the comics that I can't spoil for you because if they have the balls to do it, you are going to just, your jaw is going to hit the floor. Oh <laughs> You're boy. just going to be like, what did I just see? Oh boy. Um, so this may be the origin story of that. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, maybe we'll see next week. Uh, you know, how specific or not specific Jesse was in commanding him to serve God. I'll be interested to see how that manifests itself. The, but yeah. And the, you see what I'm saying? Like the look on everyone's face when Odin says, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Like even Emily's like, holy, holy cow. Yeah. Like you can see the revival start to happen right then and there. Yeah. This is Jesse's plan all along. The TV's sitting out in the front lawn. This is the real point that he yeah. wanted. He just wanted to get everyone there just to see. Um, and that's what the purpose of the TV raffle was. I think this was his real plan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so 
I guess only time will tell on that on that end. Um, our final scene of the episode: uh, Fiore and DeBlanc hanging in the hotel room. Uh, Fiore eating Cheetos and mm-hmm. kind of marveling slash in disgust of the orange powder on his hands. Um, but I think he actually really likes the Cheetos. I think, I, we, th- I think you're right. I think he's discovered that he likes Cheetos. This is what I'm saying. I think this is the, oh, the beginning God. of something okay. further down the line. Oh, great. Okay. Um, so he's gone from eating tea bags whole uh, to eating Cheetos, <laughs> which that has still not been explained. Thank you very much. I'm still waiting for my explanation. I do, it, is see, it because he's an angel? He thinks you're supposed to. I, I don't think he knows that you're not, you're not supposed, supposed to. to. Oh yeah, I don't God. think I don't think it's that he's assuming that you're That's supposed to. I think he just precious. doesn't know that he you're just not. Doesn't know supposed you're not to. supposed to. That's kind of mm-hmm. precious. Um, I mean, DeBlanc is uh, DeBlanc is reading the Bible, which I find interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of chilling on the bed reading the Bible, and the phone rings, and without really thinking about it, Fiore goes and picks up the hotel phone and says hello, and then the phone rings again. <laughs> Um, so there's now someone calling them on their magical little heaven device. Mm -hmm. And I can only assume it's probably some sort of higher up officer or whatever. Uh, either they've been found out and they know like heaven knows they're not the heaven knows they're down there and they're not supposed to be there. Um, Actually, that's my only theory right now. So <laughs> I was going to say either or, but it's there's not e- it's not either one of those. Um, um, so I th- I'm I, I'm assuming somebody found out they're not there, so now they're like, "Where the fuck are you?" <laughs> yeah, uh, in those exact words too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's it's probably better that I don't say anything. I li- I liked this moment, and I lo- like I said, I loved the setup in the earlier scene with the phone. Um, but yeah, it's probably best that I don't take stabs at who is calling and for what reason. Thank you. I'd rather find out on my own. Yeah. I could explain a lot Mm -hmm. if I wanted. Yeah. Which I do, but I won't. (laughs) So that, that about does it for us, uh, on this week's episode of Preacher. Episode 104, uh, Monster, episode Monster Swamp. Swamp. Yeah. Uh, you can find us uh, any time of day or night uh, on our website, holysmokespodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we usually try to have those episodes up before Sunday, just so you can kind of listen to the recap beforehand. Yeah. And we usually, I mean, in the past, we've, we've gotten them up earlier than we have this week. Yeah. Um, we have had some... Uh, illnesses so it's been a bit hard for us to connect and yeah and get this put out to you but hopefully in the weeks to come we'll uh, get on a more regular basis at the beginning of the week sure um you it's can, hard with with sunday night shows though it is yeah it is you got to get that second watch in to really feel like you've seen everything i feel like same yeah you do um but thank you for being patient yeah <laughs> for sure uh you can also find us on twitter at holy smokes pod um where can they find you on, on the interwebs, Josh? I am on Twitter at Josh B. Carter. Uh, I'm at Britt L. Bird. That's Bird with a Y. 
uh, on Twitter. Two T's. Two T's. <laughs> uh, you can also email us. We we welcome any uh, questions, corrections, comments, crackpot theories. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. And uh, our email address is Holy Smokes Podcast. Holy Smokes Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Josh. Uh, I before before we leave. Sure. Last week you laughed at me with my outro. Right? Okay. And Jesse's dad, when he takes the pulpit, what's the first thing he says? I don't remember. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And also with you. Yes. I was making a joke last week. Okay. You laughed at you laughed because you were just like, That's dumb (laughs) instead of laughing at the joke. All right. I was just saying, like, mm-hmm. I, the first time I watched this episode and he got up and said, peace be with you, I was like, I, oh, I told her. <laughs> I knew that was a good joke. But anyway, I won't I won't use it this week. No, well, you absolutely should. Why? You absolutely should. Because that's going to be our thing now. You're going to have to do it every oh, time. Oh, Lord. Yep. Until next time, kids and kittens. Uh, peace be with you. And also with you. <laughs> Da-dee-da-da, da-dee-da-da, da-dee-da-da.